For those of you who are new to our church, you may not know me, but my name is Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here, and today we're going to continue in a series that Craig started last Sunday, and over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the greatest sermon ever, and uh, just a spoiler alert, it wasn't preached by me or Craig. Uh, the greatest sermon ever was preached by Jesus himself. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, or the Sermon on the Mountainside. And it's where Jesus began his public ministry and he laid out the manifesto of his kingdom. He revealed what it looks like to be one of his followers. What it looks like to live for him. To be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus loved taking simple things and teaching profound lessons. I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but some of the very simple things of life we often take for granted are actually very important. Uh, For example... Salt, we often take it for granted, don't we? But salt can banish blandness. Take it from me after spending some time in the hospital last year and being on a no-sodium diet, I missed salt. And because I could not have any visitors, no one could sneak salt to me. But the nurses nicely gave me something called Mrs. Dash. That sounds better than what it really is. Got a little dash of that, but it was better than nothing. But I discovered I missed salt. Salt banishes blandness. It adds flavor. It enhances flavor. Another thing we take for granted is light. You know, in our modern society, it is so easy for us to push a button and to turn on a light. We can turn our cell phone into a flashlight. We can turn on our car lights at night and see the way ahead of us. But... We sometimes take something so simple for granted. Many years ago, I was in uh, Miami, Florida for a church planting conference, and they put me up at a hotel. Never been to this hotel before. It was nice, downtown Miami. And during the middle of the night, I had to go to the bathroom, just to be honest with you. And so I decided to get up in the middle of the night and to fumble my way in this darkened hotel room to the bathroom. But I did not know that that hotel had a doorstop that was attached to the floor. It stood up from the floor. And as I walked past it, I kicked it with my right foot and I broke my little toe. I have never felt more excruciating pain until my open heart surgery. Then it reminded me of what it felt like to break my toe. And all the rest of the day, I had to walk the streets of Miami in black dress shoes with a toe that was swollen and black and blue. And oh, how I wish I'd have had a little nightlight (laughs) that night in that hotel room. I don't take light for granted. Would it surprise you to know that Jesus says, let me get down to the basics of what it means to be my follower. Jesus says, if you want to know what it means to be my disciple, it means that in this world you are salt and you are light. That in this world, it means you are going to be an influence for good. You're going to make a positive difference in the world when you become my follower and you live for me. In fact, I don't want you to take my word for that. I want you to hear what Jesus says. Today, we're in Matthew chapter 5, the gospel of Matthew in your New Testament chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Let me throw the words up on the screen as we read Jesus' words. And I want you to listen to how he explains to us the positive influence that we can have in our world when we are his followers. Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus declares, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its 
saltiness be restored. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And, and really, his words here are two things for us. They're, they're, first of all, an indication, and then they're also an invitation. They're, they're an indication of who you are as a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It is an indication of who you are as a person who loves Jesus and who has committed your life to Jesus. He doesn't say go out and try hard to become salt and go out and try hard to become light. He says that's who you are. And if your life is not being a positive influence, then there's something impeding your life as I've designed it to be. It's an indication. But it's also an invitation. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now there's a big crowd that has followed him to this point on this hillside. And they're listening. But not all of them have committed their lives to Jesus. But even his words directed to the disciples as an indication of who they are is also an invitation to everyone. If you want a life that makes a difference, if you want a life that fulfills the purpose God has for you, if you want to stop moaning about the darkness and the decay in our world, then come follow me. Life is not found in you doing your own thing. Life, true life, is found in following me, Jesus says. It's an invitation. And maybe there's someone here, someone watching, who's never received Jesus as Savior. He invites you. Put your confidence in Him. Turn from your sin. Let Him be your Lord and your Savior. And you'll discover what it means to have true life. Life that brings good into this world. And that fulfills God's purpose. And so as we look at these words, I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. Did you notice that? In verse 13, he says, you, his disciples, he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. Now, even in Jesus' day, salt was a readily available commodity. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea? The Dead Sea, which is that, that massive, large inland lake at the end of the Jordan River in the Jordan Valley. It is 10 miles wide at its widest point. It's about 50 miles long. And it's called the Dead Sea because the Jordan River flows into it, but no water flows out of it. And because it is 1,300 feet below the level of the Mediterranean Sea, the heat in the low elevation creates a massive evaporation. And what's left behind are these salt deposits. And they were harvested by the people in Jesus' day in the Roman Empire. And salt was sent around the world. Salt was a readily available commodity. And Jesus says, just like that, if you're my follower, you are the salt of the earth. And what does he mean by that? What you, you are the salt of the earth. Well, we know salt has all kinds of purposes. I mean, salt adds flavor, as we've said, to food. And salt, before refrigeration, was often used and is still used for 
preservation. It preserves meat. Meat can be packed and fish can be packed in salt and it preserves it. But there's another passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about salt that gives us an indication of what it means that we are the salt of the earth. It's in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said, if you, if you understand what I'm saying, then you understand what I'm saying. He's saying salt has many purposes, but if salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for, in this case, he's, he refers to the soil and to the manure pile. So there's something about being salt of the earth, salt of the soil, would it surprise you that in Jesus' day, salt was often used in fertilizer? And even in the fertilizer you put on your lawn today, it often contains salt. Because a little bit of salt can encourage the good. It can encourage growth. And there is a sense in which Jesus is saying, to be my follower is to be the salt of the earth. And by living for me, your life encourages the good in this world. And there's a lot of good in our world. And Christians ought to be encouraging the good. The good of love. The good of faith. The good of tolerance. The good of keeping our promises. The good of keeping our marriage vows. The good of forgiveness. The good of patience. The good of godliness. And the good of faith with Jesus. He says your life as the salt of the earth encourages the good. You show what the good looks like. And it encourages others to want that life too. They say you, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But all the cowboys will say, yeah, if you put enough salt in his mouth, he'll drink. And Jesus says when we live our lives, it encourages other people to want what we've got. There's something different about that person. I see the good in their life. And there's enough bad in the world. I want what they've got. And we point people to Jesus. But he also says if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. It's not good for the soil, and it's not good for the manure pile. There again, this was referring to fertilizer. Salt was added to the manure pile in order to prohibit bacteria and disease get, that could spread as the fertilizer was spread. So salt not only encourages the good, it discourages the bad. And as a follower of Jesus, we ought to by our lives and our commitment to Jesus to discourage the bad. And there are bad things in our world, in our culture, and in our lives. I know we live in a society that today wants to push the envelope and say that there's nothing bad. If you want it, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, you go for it. But that doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it's godly. Doesn't mean it's what Jesus would want. And he's saying that our lives ought to discourage the bad. What are the bad things that we ought to discourage? And what are the good things that we ought to encourage? Well, that's what he's going to unpack as he continues preaching his sermon. But he's going to preach against bad things like religious hypocrisy. Preachers and church people saying one thing and living differently. 
acting righteous and holy while they're living sinful lives. He's going to preach against the bad thing of religious hypocrisy. He's going to preach against oppression of the, of the poor. He's going to preach against neglecting the needy. He's going to preach against unbridled and unreasonable anger. He's going to preach against lust. He's going to preach against broken marriage vows. He's going to preach against retaliation and revenge and hatred. And I don't know about you, but it sounds like he's reading our news. That he's watching our culture today. And yet this is what he said 2,000 plus years ago. He says, you're the salt of the earth. And if you're going to follow me, that's who you are. And if you're truly following me, then your life, your example, your conduct, your attitudes and your actions will encourage the good and they will discourage the bad. So the question remains for me and for you Is your life encouraging the good and discouraging the bad? Or have we lost our saltiness? And maybe you're saying, man, I'm not up for this. My life's not all together. I'm not perfect. I've got my own sins and my own flaws. Well, good. That means you're human. And it reminds you that you and I can't live like this on our own strength. In fact, did you notice, and Craig talked about this last Sunday, that Jesus began his sermon not with doing, but with being. Not with outward things, but inward things. Do you know who this message is directed to first and foremost? He started it out in Matthew 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who know they have nothing good in them. That they are spiritually bankrupt. That if there's ever going to be good in them and through them, it's only going to come by the grace of God. Those are the kind of people Jesus can work with. So rather than being beaten up and condemned, Jesus says, no, you've learned a good lesson here. You can't live this life on your own. You can't try hard enough. You can't be good enough. It's only as you let me live my life through you that being the salt of the earth and the light of the world becomes real in your life. And it's pretty practical, isn't it? Jesus gets down to the nitty-gritty. You're the salt of the earth. That's down in the dirt. That's, That's in everyday living. So where do I begin by trying to live for Jesus so that I'm encouraging good and discouraging bad? Start where you are. Start in your own personal relationship. Start at home. Start in your marriage. Start with your parenting. Start with your relationship to your parents. Live for Jesus and live out the commands of Jesus in that context. Start where you are in school or at work as a neighbor, as a friend. And Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. But, but notice he gave, us, he gave us a warning. Go back to Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, Jesus wasn't ignorant of the fact that salt is a stable commodity. Salt never loses its saltiness. If salt is no longer salty. It is because it's been contaminated. And even in Jesus' day, salt harvested from the Dead Sea, also known as the Salt Sea, was often diluted and contaminated with other minerals or even sand. And people weren't getting the salt that they thought they were getting. And they discovered, this is good for nothing. This has been contaminated. What good is it? 
It's good for nothing to be thrown out in the street, let people stomp on it, walk over it. Because if it's no longer salty, what use is it? And our Christian witness can become so contaminated by hypocrisy. Our, our Christian witness can be contaminated by judgmentalism, by intolerance, by political partisanship, by unbridled anger and so many other influences that we lose our purpose in our culture. That we can become so deluded that people get a taste of something, but it's not Jesus when they interact with us. And Jesus says, you're good for nothing if you're not going to live for me with sincere hearts. You're the salt of the earth. But he goes on, he says, you are the light of the world. So he, he goes from being, you are the salt of the earth, to you are the light of the world. Notice that, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In Jesus' day, homes were typically comprised of one main room for living. Maybe other rooms for the animals or other smaller alcoves or rooms for storage, but typically one main family room. And for illumination at night, they would use candles or oil lamps. And Jesus says, with that picture in mind, you are the light of the world. And you don't have to go to seminary to discover what he means by this. He's saying light dispels darkness. You are the light of the world. Just as our world is decaying because of bad things and the, the influence of Christ in the world ought to encourage the good and discourage the bad, so you are the light of the world and our world is spiritually darkened. But Christians living for Christ illuminate the world and dispel the darkness and reveals reality and points to Jesus who is the light of the world. Light not only dispels darkness, light is intended to be seen. He, he says a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And, and what he means is that, that it's just obvious that it's there. Jerusalem was a city like that, up on a hillside. The scriptures talk about going up to Jerusalem, not only because it's on a hillside, but you were going up to the holy city of God. And you can see the city of Jerusalem from miles around on a good day. And Jesus says light is like that. Light is meant to be seen. Light makes itself known. Light illuminates and reveals. And if it doesn't, then there's something impeding the light. Because light by its very nature will be revealed. That's why one of the most annoying things, this is a first world problem, one of the most annoying things to me, Remember those days you could go to movie theaters? I think there's coming back. But to sit in a movie, a darkened movie theater, watching a movie, and somebody in front of you turn this thing on and do their texting for the week. Because in that darkened movie theater, that little light captures everyone's attention who sees it. Your eyes are just drawn to it. A light is just like that. It's meant to be seen. It's not going to be hidden. Jesus continues in verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
Jesus says, you know how it is when you go home and at night you, you light a lamp. And what do you do? You put it on a table. You put it on a stand. You elevate it in the room so that its rays can go as far as possible in that room. It is absurd to think someone would light a lamp and then cover it with a basket. Why did you light it in the first place if that's what you're going to do with it? You're going, Jesus, is he serious? No, he's trying to show the absurdity of living for him and then hiding it. Hiding it with our unwillingness to obey him. Hiding the light of Jesus with our hypocrisy. Hiding it with our failure to obey him. He says, no, that's not the point of light. Light is meant to be seen. And in this way, followers of Jesus are the light of the world. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, in the same way that you light a light in order for it to go as far and be seen by as many as possible, that's what your life is to be. And when people see your good works, what are the good works he's referring to? Just doing a good job at the office tomorrow, just getting good grades and studying hard. That's all wonderful. That's all important. But he's talking about the sermon he's going to continue preaching. Whenever we live out these kingdom values in our lives, in the practical nitty-gritty of everyday life, people see those good works. They see that good life. They see that conduct. And it stands in such stark contrast to the darkness and the decay around them, that they come to the conclusion there is no other way to explain that person's life than God in heaven. And now we're on to something because now we're not pointing people to us and look how good I am, look how religious I am, look how spiritual I am. No, our lives are pointing people to Him, to our Heavenly Father. And, and how do we do that? We do it through our lives, and we do it through our lips. As we give testimony through our lives and living for Jesus, we glorify God who is in heaven as a follower of Jesus on earth. And as we open our mouths and we share the testimony of Jesus, that no, it's not about me, I'm spiritually bankrupt I've mourned over my sin, and I've found a good and gracious God who has blessed me. We now point people to God in heaven through Jesus Christ. And he said, that is the point. And the point of us is not it being about us. For far too long, Christianity has become about Christians. It's supposed to be about Christ. It's about Him. Because there's a statement where some people would say, well, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Jesus contradicted himself. Here in Matthew 5, he's saying, you are the light of the world. But he also said in John chapter 8, verse 12, of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Which is it? Are we the light of the world or is he the light of the world? We are the light of the world just as the moon is the light of the night. The moon has no light of its own. It can only reflect the rays of the sun. And we have no light of our own. Any good that people see in us comes through the Lord Jesus Christ as we are living for Him. 
And because he is the light of the world and we've committed our lives to him, we don't walk in darkness. We have the light of life. We have Jesus. So it's all about pointing people to him, but it's also about us living for him and obeying him. You see, you will influence the world for good when you live for God. It's really that simple and that hard. You will influence the world for good when you live for God. There's enough bad in our world. There's enough negative influences in our world. There's enough examples of tragedy in our world. There's enough examples of hatred and animosity in our world. Imagine a group of people who recognize their own sinfulness, their own humility, their own desperate dependence upon God through faith in Jesus Christ and seeking every day as best they can this side of heaven. Let Jesus live his life through them. Reflect his kingdom values in them. Can you imagine the difference it would make in this world if we said seriously we are the salt of the earth we are the light of the world let's live like that as best that we can so here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week every time you taste salt maybe you take sprinkle some salt on your food or every time you flip on a light I want you to ask yourself the question how can I be salt and light in this situation. Maybe you're sitting down across the table from a coworker, and they say, pass me the salt. I want you to think in your heart right then and just whisper a prayer. Jesus, how can I be salt and light to this person in this situation today? How can I show them what it looks like to be your follower? Not being preachy, not being pushy, just living my authentic life for you. Maybe whenever you go into your kid's room and you turn on the light, to get them up in the morning. And, and it's the third time you've done that, you know, because they never get up the first time. Maybe you'll whisper a prayer. Jesus, how can I be salt and light in my child's life today? How can I show them what it looks like to live for you? I'm not going to be perfect, Lord. I, I know I have my own mistakes and flaws, but, but let me be salt and light today for them. Maybe before you comment on social media, you might just whisper a prayer. Jesus, what would it look like? How can I be salt and light in this situation? How can I show the world what it looks like to be your follower? That when it's all said and done, they're not talking about me. They're not talking about my religious affiliation, my political party. They're talking about my God in heaven, my Lord and my Savior. How can I be salt and light in this situation? And can I say, young people today, you want to be radical? You want to be disruptive? You want a life that makes an impact? Get serious about Jesus. Get serious about living for him. Take the Sermon on the Mount to heart. And I'm going to go ahead and just say to all of us in the room, all of us who are watching, before we get too far into the Sermon on the Mount, 
There's going to come a time where you're going to be so tempted to just close your Bibles. I don't agree with that. Welcome to following Jesus. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. And buddy, He knows how to step on our toes. He knows how to point out our mistakes. He knows how to point out our flaws. Not to condemn us, but to say, if you keep going down this way, your life's not going to be a positive influence for good for you or for anybody else. And is that how you want to end your life, knowing you've wasted it? So I'm going to step on your toes, Jesus says. I'm going to burst your bubbles. I'm going, to, I'm going to slay some of your sacred cows. And I'm going to call you to a radical commitment to me and to my kingdom. And then you're going to discover this is what life is. This is good. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So today, will you leave this place today? And every time you taste salt or turn on a light, Ask yourself the question, how can I be salt and light in this situation? Living for Jesus, pointing people to my heavenly Father, encouraging the good, discouraging the bad, through my life and my lips, pointing people to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this reminder. But God, as I have studied this, you have so convicted me that I cannot live like this. Not on my own strength. I don't have it in me. And all of us who are followers of Jesus recognize that without Jesus we cannot. But we thank you that the key is letting Jesus live his life through us. And living the authentic lives that he has made possible by his grace and his strength. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world Help us not to let that bit get contaminated or covered up by the things of our flesh or the things of the world, those things that can so easily distract us. So, Father, would you forgive us of our sin, restore us and cleanse us and and help us to be a, a force for good as we live for God in heaven. And God, if there's someone today that needs Jesus as their Lord and their Savior right now, let them know they can never work their way to heaven. They can't live good enough. All they can do is desperately as one poor in spirit come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I have nothing to give you. But I receive your forgiveness and your love as I turn from my sin and place my faith in you. Father, I pray that whoever's making that step today to commit their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they'll not be ashamed of Him, but they'll let someone know. Maybe they'll leave us a comment in the comment section or or go to our website and fill out the Let's Connect card and click that little box that says, Today, I committed my life to Christ. Maybe they'll go public through baptism at the beach. Father, whatever it is you'd have them to do in taking their next step, I pray they would do it right now today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I love you guys. God bless you. Please reach out if we can help you in any way. If you're a guest, I'll meet you right here at the front. Or if I can pray with you, I'll meet you right here at the front.